Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So this series has been one uh, for me personally that has been awesome to to prep for and to preach and to do. I've learned so much during this series that I didn't know before, and it has really stretched me uh, to really do a lot more study than I thought. Because I thought going into the series, like, oh, this would be cool, this would be fun. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into at all in any way, shape, or form. Like the level of study and the time that it would take, the things I thought I knew that I just didn't, the things I took for granted. Um, a lot of things, but what it has done, though, even though it has been um, a really stretching experience, it's been a really good one because it has absolutely deepened my appreciation of the reality of what God is doing in the Old Testament and how it connects to Jesus and why it matters to me today. Because I, I've come to really understand these feasts and these fasts, the festivals, everything, the things that they were doing as kind of like time capsules. Right, that God gave us these truths, that God gave us these things in these festivals, not just for the people that were celebrating them, certainly for them, but not just for them. And this would be something that would be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, and that it would say something to us today, even in 2023. And that's what it can be, like, that can be a sticking point. Because it's like, okay, how does the Bible fit together? I get that, that there's a tension there. I, I don't understand how the beginning of it and the end of it, like, and then there's Jesus kind of somewhere in the middle. Like, how does all that fit together? How do the pieces make sense? And that's what, kind of what we're trying to do with this series is to help people understand how God's Word does, in fact, fit together. Because that's one of our, our like, a huge heart that we have here is that how can we help people see Scripture as something that, like this year, our theme, Gospel in Real Life, like that it applies to, that it changes and ultimately blesses your life. Like, that's, that's a big deal for us to help people in that journey of just growing in their understanding of Christ. And so we're doing this series to see how these rhythms of the Old Testament connect to today. Because no matter where you are with Jesus or where you are with Christianity, the fact remains that Christianity is rooted in Judaism. Right? I mean, we have to understand that, that. That was the world that Jesus grew up in. Jesus was a Jew. Lots of the books in the New Testament written to Jews with a Jewish mindset with like Jewish understandings and like taking things for granted that Jewish audience would have understood all of that. So it's good to understand that 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 faith is our faith is rooted in, in Judaism. And so the big question for us, this series, the big question for us, this series is to say, OK, how do these uh, ancient festivals of the Old Testament inform a modern faith of 2023, a modern faith today? That's a, that's a big ask. That's a big question to, to approach. And so each week, as a reminder, we're doing this with five other questions. We're going to do it every week. We're going to hit five questions. First, where do we find it? So let's just briefly read what it talks about. Then just briefly, when was it? Like what time of the year did it fall? And then more importantly, what was it? And then why did they celebrate it? How does Jesus connect to it? And then why does it matter to us? Right, because a lot of times in Scripture, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so this is what it tells me about God. This is what it tells me about like humans. This is what it tells me about the sin problem. This is, you know, all these things. But at the end of the day, like, how's this land in my house? Right? How's this land in, in me as a dad and in me as a friend and a brother and a son and all these other roles and hats that we wear? How does all this stuff land with us? And what's been challenging for me 
And I think probably for a lot of us is that there's some variation with these Old Testament festivals and what they started as and then what eventually they became. And that's confusing because, again, I'm not looking at any biblical Jews here, right? And I don't think anybody was alive when uh, the New Testament was being written, right? So we didn't grow up in that. We're not steeped in this knowledge. So to understand what it actually was, this Jewish festival, and why they celebrated it, and again, how does it connect to Christ, and then how does it connect to me, are big, important questions to ask of these. So each week we approach each one of the festivals with that framework. I think also it's important to think about the purpose, the intent behind these. Each week, I'm basically starting my sermons the same exact way, just to remind us, because I get it, there's a lot, it can be hard to remember these things, I understand that. So the, the big foundational things that I want us to be able to understand too, first for me is relationship. God was saying, as Brittany prayed, so here's a, like a holy and perfect God that's like supernatural, he's out there, right? How do we have relationship with a being like that? So God is in a very tangible way saying, I want relationship with you. Israel, Old Testament, I don't want you to forget who you are. I don't want you to forget my faithfulness, what I've done and what I will do. And again, as I started off with, this is Jesus' world. They point to him and they're ultimately fulfilled by him. So if you're curious about Christianity, if you're just approaching it maybe for the first time, or if you've been in it for a long time and you feel like you've got a pretty good handle, it's good to know these last ones, that these aren't just kind of random things happening before Jesus, and then Jesus shows up kind of by accident, and then there's like no real connection along the line. God's saying very specifically, these things are going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And he is saying, Jesus himself is saying, this was fulfilled in me. Like, being here today, witnessing this, you're realizing some of these things are coming to fruition now. And then the New Testament writers being later, like, oh my gosh, like that's what Jesus was doing. This festival is all about him. And, and just the, the revelation of God kind of slowly revealing these things to me. Like, see how precise I was? Like, see how 1,500 years before Jesus, I said these things, and now here at the time of Jesus, they're coming to fruition. And here we are, literally 3,500 years after some of the words we're going to be reading were written, and God is still saying, look, I want you to know you can trust me. I want you to know, like, I, I got a plan. And look what I did to bring it to fruition. So that's kind of the, the journey that we get to be on together. And it's just important, again, whether we're like, examining Jesus, whether we already trust Jesus and know him, but we've got these little time capsules that are revealing truth to us. Now, so far the holidays we've hit, just in case you don't remember or you weren't here, the first one, foundational, this is one that probably most people, even if they're not really familiar with Judaism or Christianity, are familiar with, is Shabbat or the Sabbath. This happens Friday night, and this will be important for a little bit. Their holidays, their days start on the evening, right? So around 6 p.m. is when the next day begins for them, which is confusing to think about. But Friday night, they're going to begin their Sabbath, and then that goes all Saturday for them. And the Sabbath is foundational to everything that you read about with these other festivals. And here's why it matters for you. Most of us don't rest well. Most of us keep ourselves busy, and even in our downtime, we're doing things that aren't really restful. God says, look, once a week, I want you to do nothing. I want you to relax. Like, what would your life look like? If you said once a week, I'm doing nothing because God said so. I'm just going to totally be like, nope, I'm going to get all my stuff squared away during the week so that I can be super intentional about this one day, whatever day is. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to worship and I'm going to do nothing but rest because my soul needs it. That's like, that's like, that's how God cares about us. That's how God cares about us. And most of us thinking right now, like, yeah, good luck. Right. Right. But this is foundational to all the festivals. This is how God wants us. He wants us to rest. So next, um, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of the Trumpets. This one was a confusing one. Starts off Old Testament, early, Feast of Trumpets. Hey, blast the trumpets. Be ready. 
Yom Kippur is coming, right? Day of Atonement is coming. Get ready. Get your soul ready. Get your heart ready, right? Give thanks. Be aware of the goodness of God. And then eventually, over time, it turns into Rosh Hashanah, which is not actually in the Bible, but mm, some of us may have heard about Rosh Hashanah. And now it's celebrated in September and it's the Jewish New Year, right? So it starts off just being a time in the fall of Thanksgiving and preparation in your heart over time turns into, not in the Bible, but in history, turns into the Jewish New Year. So we talked about that uh, a few weeks ago. And then we got into the big one, Yom Kippur. I mean, this is like the day of days, right, for a Jewish person. This is the one day a year they know they can have a clean slate with God. So it's a pretty important day. So they get to go in, the one, the high priest, not anymore, of course, they can't do this anymore, they don't have a temple, but Yom Kippur was the day when he could go into the most holy place, where the presence of God was, and he could offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for himself, because since such a serious issue, it, it costs a life, is the message there. And then he could go in, sacrifice for himself, he could go in and sacrifice for the people of Israel once a year. So it was a big deal. It was their, their moment to like reset with God. A little bit after that, they're fasting on that day, no eating, no working on that day. And then five days later, our next one, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. So they, on this day, it's very interesting, are going to now remember something. They're going to do it in a way where God actually commands them to have a good time. Here's what I want you to do, Israel. I want you to rest, and then I want you to like celebrate for an entire week. That's what I want you to do, and remember my goodness. Now, they are remembering their time in the desert, right? That Exodus time, they're wandering for 40 years in the desert, living in tents. God is living in a tent with them in his tabernacle. So there's all this like symbolism to, long, to go along with this. But then as it goes forward in the biblical story, as you start flipping through the pages of your Bible and get to the New Testament, Jesus shows up and it says that Jesus is literally a tabernacle of God. Like Jesus literally is God in a human person. It's like, right? They didn't understand that either. It was hard for them to get. But that's who he is. He's, and it says he tabernacled with us in Jesus Christ. And then, here was the more convicting one for me, the New Testament moves on and it says, okay, so if the tabernacle is a place where people should go to be able to experience God, let's ratchet that up, is what the New Testament does. And it says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you now today, whether you're sitting here or watching, you are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. You are a representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is your job now. The Holy Spirit dwells in this old tent that we have for the 80 or whatever years that we get out of it. And he says, I want you to be a place where people can go to experience the Spirit, the Spirit of God. That's a, that's a tall order, but that's God's expectation. We should be all about justice. We should be all about mercy. We should be all about love. We should be all about sacrifice because these, these are the things that our Jesus set the example on for us. And so for us to say, yep, that's me too. That's I'm where the Spirit of God dwells, so I need to represent Him well. And then we get to Passover, which is today. And uh, that's what we're looking at today. Passover is actually going to be Wednesday night this week. But Passover for me, this was a tough one, like a really tough one to do, because I thought, oh man, Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb. What else do we need to talk about? Amen. Let's get out of here, right? And then I started studying, and it was just like, it's not that easy. Uh, it's not that easy at all, because Jewish time is confusing. And how they celebrated these things is confusing. And I was learning all this stuff, and then here I was, like, reading in the Old Testament, reading in the New Testament, digging up ancient Greek documents to try to find out what was happening historically at the time. And all the while, I'm like, Lord, can I just maybe skip all this and just be like, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Amen. Let's get out of here. Um, but since we are 
today, beginning Holy Week, I thought, no, let's like let's slow down and let's actually look what was going on because of this festival. Because here's one piece of confusion for Passover week. It's not actually Passover week. Passover is one day. It's one holiday on the 14th. The next day on the 15th is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that is a week. But by the time of Jesus, it's just Passover week. And then now, of course, today it's Passover week. But really, it's two separate holidays celebrating a very similar thing. The Exodus, right? The, the Passover in Egypt. So we're going to look at that briefly this morning and then kind of pick it apart and then see how this affects our view of this last week of Jesus' life. Because it was Passover week that he was celebrating. So where do we find it? You can find it in several places in the Bible. You could go to Leviticus. You could go, well, you go to Exodus, where we'll be a little bit today in chapter 12. You can go to Leviticus, chapter 23. You can go to Numbers, and you can go to Deuteronomy. It's just kind of all throughout the Old Testament law. The first, it's within those first five books of the Bible. But this morning, though, just to give us an idea, uh, we're going to be in Leviticus 23, just as a quick snapshot um, to help us orient our minds to what we're talking about this morning. So in Leviticus 23, verse 5, the Passover to the Lord comes in the first month. So for them, that was Nisan or Abib at first, but Nisan. So just to clarify, their year starts in March for us. So their year does not start in January. It starts in spring. So their calendar year is completely different from ours. So the Passover comes in the first month in Nisan at twilight. So basically we could say Wednesday evening going into the night, 13th is the daytime. At 6 p.m. it's going to transition to the 14th. So twilight is when they're doing this at the 14th day of the month. And again, this is why it's confusing to try to understand their time. Now the festival of unleavened bread starts the next day on the 15th. So in the evening of Thursday, we'll say on the next day for seven days, you must eat unleavened bread. So it's basically crackers, right? What we ate this morning, unleavened bread on the first day. This is important too. So hang on to this little tidbit on the first day, you're to hold a sacred assembly. Don't do any work. Verse 8. You are to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days, and then on the last day is another day, another Sabbath. You're just going to rest. Don't do any work. So, again, when are we going to do this? All right. This starts Wednesday night. You're going to go ahead and start this Passover Wednesday night. And then on the next day, the next evening on Thursday night, that's when the next holiday begins. Um, but here's what I want you to do during this time, though. When the next holiday on the 15th starts, that's, that's a Sabbath. It starts off with just rest. I don't want you to do anything that day. Then you get to like celebrate for six. And then on that seventh day, again, everything shuts down and we're not going to do anything except making food and stuff like that. So this is the, the general rhythm at the very beginning of the year for them that God wants them to do this in. All right. So exactly when, when was it? Exodus 12, verse 2. This month is the beginning of the months for you. It's the first month of your year. So Biblically speaking, this is why sometimes things get confusing. Here we have God saying, this is the beginning of the year for you. And it's like, well, isn't Rosh Hashanah the Jewish New Year? It is, but not biblically. That's a cultural thing. That's like a tradition thing. And then and it happens in September, right? So God's saying, this month is, and, but why is this important to know? Because this is the Exodus. Like, they're still in slavery right now. And when they leave, this is literally the beginning of their lives, I mean, this is like, this is July 4th for them. This is it, right? This is such a pivotal moment, a pivotal month. You're about to be set free from slavery that I literally want you to reckon your calendar off of this event that's about to happen. So that's how big this is, and that's when this event is. And if you look at a calendar, 
it's not helpful, I don't think, to look at a linear calendar. You almost have to put it, I got a picture here, it's a circular one. You have the Jewish ones on the outside and our Gregorian calendar, the blue one on the inside, and they don't match up, right? None of the dates really, or the months line up because the outer is using the moon, the inner is using the sun, and so there's all this like shifting that happens. But basically, the reason I show you this picture is so you can see what we're about to talk about in the next couple of Sundays, these are all spring feasts. Right? Then you got Pentecost, and we've already looked at all the fall feasts. So this, again, it's just to show you rhythm. That's all. Rhythm of life. This is a rhythm that God wanted them to understand. The, the agricultural season, celebrating when things will come to fruition, celebrating and remembering when you're starting to plant and do all these things. And, and so this is all just a rhythm of life that God's doing. I want you to remember me. And then in the midst of it, I want you to remember what I've done for you. And that's really good for us. We don't live in a culture that wants to remember much the blessings that we have, you know? We live in a culture that's always like, what don't I have? That's really the, the place that so many of us operate from. You know, you watch any kind of ad, you watch social media, like none of us are good enough is the message that's constantly out there, you know? But God said, I want you to operate from a framework that says, no, you are good enough and you are blessed, you are taken care of, you are chosen, you are mine. Right? That's a totally different way to approach life. And so this is like the rhythms that he wanted them to understand. But the harder question, though, uh, and the, for more this morning, where we're trying to land this morning, is what exactly was Passover? Well, Passover, if you don't know the story of Israel, like the word itself, the root of this word means to have compassion, to protect even, to skip over, yes, to pass by, yes, or to spare. But what if you don't know the, the story of like, well, what, was, what were they being spared from? Right, what was exactly going on? So, to help us with that, regardless of where you are in your knowledge, I'm going to give you like a 68-second rundown of the book of Genesis. All right? So, well, not all of it, but a good chunk of it. So, Abraham, right? Abraham famously is the guy, he's the father of the nation of Israel. This guy did not know God at all, total pagan, totally separated from God. And God says, look, I'm going to call you out, Abraham. I want you to be mine, and I'm going to start a nation with you. Like, literally, a whole people, I'm going to start with you. Famously, Abraham says, okay, and off he goes. And he's going to start the nation of, Abraham, uh, through, of Israel through Abraham. Well, what happens though? Well, there's a chosen son, Isaac, right? And there's all kinds of other stuff we can talk about, and we will when we do the uh, book of Genesis. But basically, though, he has to trust that this promise is going to come through this kid, Isaac. So Isaac, eventually, is going to have his own kids, Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob is going to be the guy that really now this starts to get concrete, this whole nation of Israel thing. Because now God's like, all right, Jacob, you're going to be known as Israel. So now it's like going to start with you. And he has 12 sons, and they are the start of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is where the story of the Jewish people begins. This is why it's so important for them, why it's so important for us, and why it's so important for even Muslims, right? They all think this is all really important, too, because this is like really pivotal stuff of God starting something different. And they know all the stories just as we do. However, what happens after that? What happens after the 12 tribes uh, start in these boys? Well, they start to deceive one another. They start to do some pretty shady stuff to one another. And so the second youngest son, Joseph, gets thrown into slavery. But what he doesn't know, what they don't know, is that God is going to use that to put him in a position of influence with the Egyptian pharaoh. So here he is, all kinds of influence, all kinds of blessing coming to Joseph. And then what ends up happening is now Joseph's family, the very brothers that sold him into slavery, are going to come looking for help from Joseph. And eventually he takes care of them. Eventually he gives them land and property there. Eventually the nation of Israel continues to grow and grow and grow and become very intimidating to the Egyptians. 
So eventually a pharaoh that doesn't know this family, doesn't know the story of what God did, he says, we've got to get rid of these guys. We've got to wipe these guys out. And that's where Moses comes in, right? The famous story of his mom floating him down the river and all that. He ra- he's raised up as an Egyptian. But eventually he runs because he kills somebody. He takes off. He's living out in the desert like a nomad. And he's out there and God says, all right, Moses, it's time, man. I'm going to call you out. i got some stuff I need you to do. I need you to have faith in me, not in yourself. Because Moses had zero faith in himself. He said, I need you to have faith in me. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to do this. I need you to be faithful to this calling. So Moses does. He says, all right, so who's going to, who am I going to say sent me? You're going to say that Yahweh sent you. God himself creator of the universe kind of stuff is who sent you and Moses is like okay so he goes over not super confident you know he's not super confident he goes and he says all right but when you go Pharaoh's going to say no and his heart he's going to have this hard heart and eventually he's going to cross the line and then I'm going to start hardening his heart so he can't even say yes anymore so that's where we have the 10 plagues of Egypt right the famous 10 plagues because God's like continually look let my people go no I won't do it all right boom let my people go. Okay, I will. No, actually, I'm not going to. Boom, there's another plague. All the way up until this 10th plague. And the 10th plague was the most horrible, most heartbreaking, awful plague. It was going to be the loss of the firstborn, whether it was animal or son. And he's like, all right, this is your last chance. You can either let my people go, or this is going to cost you and your nation dearly. And once again, the Pharaoh says, absolutely not. Changes his mind, says no. And so God says, all right, Israel, in order for you to be protected from this, you're going to have to take a step of faith. You're going to have to do something that literally is a celebration of your freedom while you're still a slave. So you're going to have to slaughter this animal, and you're going to put the blood on your doorpost, and it's going to be a signal, not for me, because it's not like God's like walking, like peeking through the curtains, like, oh, no, no, never mind, never mind. You know, it's not like God was confused. This was an act of faith of them, like, trusting God. And so they had to do this very symbolic thing that they probably didn't really understand. But again, Jesus is like, he's getting seeds planted for what he would eventually do in, in his blood and his protection and his deliverance. So that brings us up to Exodus chapter 12. And so they're still slaves. They've not left yet. And God says, but I want you to celebrate this meal, this Passover meal. And this is why it's such a big deal for Jews, because they're not actually free, but they're going to eat this meal. It's a promise of their deliverance. So on the 10th day of Nisan, he says, I want you to grab a lamb or I want you to grab a kid, right? Either a a one-year-old male, spotless male lamb or a spotless male goat. And you're going to pull that out and it's going to basically become part of your family. You're going to have to take care of this thing, right? Now it's personal, right? And then on the fourth day, on that evening, on the 14th, you have to slaughter this lamb. Then you're going to put the blood on the doorpost as a sign of your faith in me that I'm actually going to deliver you. And then I need you to eat the meal that evening. Like, I want you to eat it that night, right? That's how this meal is to be eaten. And not only that night, but I want you to eat it really, really quickly. Like, really fast. So, it, it, like, we don't wear, like, cloaks anymore that they used to. But, like, I want you to, around where your belt is, you're going to tuck that thing in so you're ready to run. I want you to wear sandals on your feet because you're ready to go. And I want you to have a staff in your hand because all these things are just very physical ways of saying we are going tonight. Because remember, the first exodus, the first meal they were still in slavery. And he was like, get ready because we are going. This is happening like really soon. So be ready. And then you also have the, the mix in of how the unleavened bread would look. Like we don't even have time to let the bread rise. So that's why we celebrate with crackers, right? Unleavened bread because this is a hasty retreat from or a hasty exit, a hasty exodus from this nation. And so what God was trying to say in this whole thing is he's trying to get their minds wrapped around to a very physical, tangible, hands-on thing. I want you to do all these things quickly because I'm about to deliver you. That's what it was about. I am literally going to deliver you and I need you to take a step of faith. 
What's interesting for us in 2023 is imagine that they never take that step of faith. Like, what happens if they never do take that step of faith? They stay slaves. And I know a lot of people today that are really scared to take steps of faith and they remain in bondage to things, right? Because they won't take that first step of faith. And God's like, look, I just need you to follow me. I need you to trust me. Well, I don't have a 100% guarantee, Lord. If you could write it in the mirror in the morning, then I'll follow you in faith. You know, and it's like, ah, that's not really faith, you know, but it's easier that way. But imagine if they never take these first steps. So he says, I need you to do this because tomorrow I'm going to deliver you. Because the unleavened bread, how that fits in, is in Exodus 12, just a few verses later. He says, you're to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on that day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. So the first generation, they didn't celebrate this festival. They were living it. They were like on the run, right? They were getting out of Egypt. And all the future generations, though, God says, I want you to do this so that you'll remember. And that's the reason. That's the why on the next slide. That's why they celebrated this. God said, I don't want you to forget because it's something amazing I'm going to do in your history. And then again, a few verses later in Exodus 12, he says, when your children ask, what's this ceremony mean to you? You to reply, it's the Passover sacrifice for the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So when your kids ask you, if you've got kids, if you have kids, do you ever share the stories of the goodness of God in your life? Like, are you intentional? Again, rhythms, 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 regular times for the people of Israel to share their story. It's a phenomenal thing if you think about it. 3,500 years later, Jews are still doing this. Can the same be said of our families? Like, am I that intentional about the stories of my life and of my past with my kids? 3,500 years, Jews have been doing this stuff. Year after year after year, sharing their story with the next generation. I wonder, do we share the stories of God's goodness with our next generation? What are they missing out on because we're not talking about it? Because we're just focused on what we don't have, right? It's totally countercultural, and it's a great lesson to pull out of what God is doing here. And again, this is like July 4th for them as well. That's another reason they celebrated it. Now, the interesting part, and this morning, and I get this series is a little bit more of a deeper dive than we usually do. It's a little more technical than we usually do on most of our sermon series. Um, but how it connects to Jesus Christ is actually a very interesting thing. And since we are doing the Holy Week this week, I did want to slow down and be like, all right, so what exactly is going on with the timing of this week? So it's a little bit more of a deeper dive, and it's a little confusing because we're talking about Jewish time and Jewish holidays. I get all that. So we're going to kind of slow walk through this to see how the last week of Jesus' life actually looked. So, to do that, though, I want to back up, and I want to look about 700 years before Jesus. So, about roughly 700 years before Jesus, we have a split nation of Israel, and they've already been split, but Israel in the north, and there's kings, and they're all bad, and then there's this other tiny little country of Judah at the bottom, right? Because they've been split, not in half, but they've been split, and they've got some good kings down there. And around 700 BC, one of these good kings, a very faithful king named Hezekiah, realized something pretty awful. He realized that though they've had kings that have loved God, basically the people were no longer doing Passover, right? There was this there's loss of momentum of sharing the stories. And he all of a sudden in Second Chronicles says, hey, what's going on here? We've got to start doing this again. I mean, this is Passover. This is a big deal. But there's a slight change that happens. 
when he does this, and it totally alters. And this is why I said sometimes it's like, what did it start out as, the holiday, and then over Jewish history and tradition, what did it morph into by the time it gets to Jesus? And this is definitely one of those things where it morphed as it went forward. So what Hezekiah does is he says, okay, I don't trust you bunch of heathens anymore to do this on your own. So I'm going to turn it into a temple sacrifice. And when he did that, it was no longer like a nighttime thing. It was a next day kind of thing. So God basically says, just to help us kind of with time, he says, I want you to do this at night. Wednesday evening at twilight, you're going to sacrifice this animal. And then that evening, you are going, which is still like the beginning of the day for them. That's what's confusing. Wednesday evening, you're going to eat that meal. And you're going to do it really quickly. Nothing is supposed to go on the next day. But when Hezekiah says, hey, we got to do this. We're, and not only are we going to do it, we're going to do it during the day. We're going to do it Thursday. And we're going to do it at the temple. So now what happens over the course of history, all the way up to the time of Jesus, you have two concurrent Passover celebrations being celebrated. And most of us don't know that. And I didn't know that until this week. And it really messed me up. Like I was having a hard time with this because I didn't realize that. So you have that at-home personal festival. Then you also have on Thursday, the next day during the day, Second Chronicles 30. And chapter 35, it's being celebrated daytime. So now comes Jesus, and this affects the timeline of Jesus, like his death, burial, and resurrection, all that stuff. So you have these two moving forward. All right? And I was like, well, that's weird. Is that really true? So this is where I had to get, like, super nerdy. So I found Philo of Alexandria, who was alive during the time of Christ. And then I found Josephus, who was born about the time of his crucifixion. Both of them attest to the fact that at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, there were these two private and public Passover celebrations going on. Why does that matter? Well, it affects how we look at the timeline because people celebrated, celebrated, did I put it? People celebrated Passover sacrifice at home on Wednesday. And again, temple sacrifice done the next day during the day by the priests on Thursday. Why does that matter? All right, so I want to look at a timeline here for the last week. And again, here we are on Palm Sunday, so why not look at this? Why not think about this a little more than we usually do? So absorb that. At the top, you got Hebrew time. And you see how it mismatches with the Gregorian calendar, you know, the one that we use, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then at the bottom, you're going to see some different events there, maybe in different order. What you will notice is that Friday is absent of any death, burial, and stuff like that. Why did I do that? Why, why is this chart laid out that way? All right. So how is the last week of his life put together based on, one, Jewish time, two, two Passovers, and three, the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the end of this week? So again, I realize this is a bit deeper of a dive, and it's different information than we've had before. So as I said before, so stick with me here on the left-hand side. You've got Wednesday evening at sunset for Jews becomes a different day. That becomes the 14th of Nisan. That evening, I want you to eat your Passover meal. You're going to sacrifice it. You're going to do all that stuff. And then, by the time Jesus gets here, that's when he is eating the Passover meal with his disciples. And it's why that evening, he's going to be in the garden. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to have this awful night where he is just, you know, run through the, the, the legal system. Then in the morning, he probably, John 19, for some of your translations, says at noon he stood before Pilate, but if you're using Roman time, it's just the sixth hour in Greek. It's probably saying 6 a.m. He's standing before Pilate. Noon on Thursday, he's being crucified. And by 3 p.m., 
just about the time that the Passover sacrifice in Jerusalem is being sacrificed, Jesus, the Passover lamb, is outside the city being crucified. So you want to talk about the exactness of a prophecy. You want to talk about the exactness of God's plan to say that I'm going to be, like, Jesus Christ is going to be outside the city being crucified at pretty much the exact same time that they're now celebrating this sacrifice on Thursday. Now, why not Friday, though? Why, not, why doesn't everything just fit on Friday? Well, because, like this morning where we started, Thursday, or 14 of Nisan, the evening before, going into the day, that's Passover. When you get to Thursday evening, if you see there at sunset on the 15th, that there is the beginning of Friday, which is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, if you remember from when we started, is a Sabbath day. So Friday is a Sabbath day. So the Jews are going to be trying to get everything done on Thursday afternoon. They need to get Jesus in the ground because they can't be doing this stuff on Friday because it's a high Sabbath day. There's actually two Sabbaths that week. So with this framework, this fits with how Passover was celebrated historically with the two Passovers. And it fits also with Friday, 15 of Nisan, being a high holy Sabbath day that they couldn't do anything on. And it also explains, a lot of people are like, well, if he was crucified on Friday, how was he in the ground for two nights, or three nights? Well, it wasn't Friday. He was in the ground Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And then during the process of Saturday night into Sunday morning is when he resurrected. Now, I know that's different, and it was for me. To look at all that can be very confusing, and I trust me, I've spent hours and hours and hours studying this this week, and I was here until about 9.15 last night trying to make sure that uh, the research was done and that everything was the way it should be. Uh, because this is important. You know, I don't just want to be throwing pictures up here without really understanding this. But, again, just to walk through it quickly one more time. Wednesday night, I want you to do the Passover meal. That's when families did it. And that's why Jesus and his disciples were doing it that night on Wednesday night. Because they got to celebrate that with the people. And then his gets arrested in the garden. That's all happening Wednesday into Thursday. Early Thursday morning, he's before Pilate. And then the sham trial and everything that's happening. By Thursday at noon, he's being crucified. Three-ish, he's being, he's, he's dying. And then again, that's at the exact same time as what the, had historically been changed. Now they're doing that in the temple area. Sacrifice to the, the Passover lamb in the temple. And then ironically, the, pa- the Passover lamb is outside the city being sacrificed for the sins of the world. Not just a temporary appeasement for the people of Israel. And then again, put in the ground Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and Sunday, he's resurrected. So, Again, this was a a big stretch for me and uh, a lot that I I had to learn to think through this. However, this is something that's important because of the exactness of what Jesus did on that Thursday. And we're still going to, like, people are like, well, are we still coming Friday for Good Friday? Yes, yes, we are, right? (laughs) We're not not moving it, you know, um, because with Christmas, we're not like every year, we're not like, well, I'm not doing it this year because I don't think it was December 25th, you know, like, it doesn't really matter. We're celebrating a reality of something that happened. And we're going to gather Friday, and we always will. We're not going to get like this deep into it. We're going to celebrate the reality of what Christ did on the cross for us because that's what he did, and that's what he wants us to do. So that's what we'll do, right? Now, Palm Sunday, again, they, the confusion of them coming in when Jesus knew his story was going to end on Passover. His earth time story was going to be over, but the misunderstanding, right? Hosanna, save us, we pray. God, save us, we pray. All this. And I wonder, do you have a correct understanding of who Jesus is as well? Because how this lands in our life, I look at some verses I, wanna, I just want to give you to think about this Passover lamb thing and then ask you where it lands in your life. So in John chapter 1, talk about misunderstanding Jesus. John introduces in this way. The next day, John the Baptist 
saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. So this is how Jesus was introduced, and they still missed it. Jesus himself, Matthew 26, he says to his disciples, You know that after two days it will be Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. My story ends here at earth time at Passover, because what I'm going to do for you. And then a little bit later in this conversation, this is what we talked about just today, this morning, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and that can be that word can be unleavened or leaven, and he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Next, he says, then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. Why? Because this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So here's Jesus with his disciples eating the Passover meal and saying, this is about me. In a couple of days, this is what I'm about to do. Like, I'm about to, like, you don't understand this now, disciples, but I am literally going to fulfill this festival because it was always about me. It was always pointing to me. And so where, again, now I just want to ask, where does that land with you? Why does any of this? It may be interesting. Some of you are like, I have no idea what we talked about this morning. Um, I know. I get we can be kind of all over this uh, with this stuff. But where does it land? Why does it matter to you? Because here's what I thought. As I was preparing the sermon, I was like, Lord, why does this matter? It's cool for me because I'm a nerd and I like this stuff. And I'll spend hours and hours and hours like deep diving into these things. But why does it matter, God? I was literally asking him that. And then I began to think of some conversations I've been having with my daughter lately and just like things I've been watching on TV lately and just wondering like, and as you probably have, what in the world is happening to people? What is happening? Like I've had so many people say, Kyle, what is going on? We are losing our minds. Like what is happening? And I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, we are. And I look at a world that in American culture especially, that we want to be the end-all, be-all of being, meaning, purpose, value, happiness. And all we want to do is look inward for all of that stuff. And that sounds okay in a, like a trite way, but if you ever, 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 ever doubt your purpose, your meaning, your value, if you ever begin to hate yourself, how are you going to find meaning, purpose, value, and happiness inside? You're not. You're going to find hopelessness. You're going to find anger. You're going to find all kinds of ugly and toxic things in there. And then what do you do with those things? When you're supposed to be the end-all, be-all, you can define your identity on sports, on school, on grades, on my friends, on money, on my sexuality, on my gender, on how strong I am, how tall I am, how whatever I am. And what if none of those work? Then what do you got? That's what you have in our society right now. Like, we're looking inwardly, and we're not finding anything. And then we're trying to find it. We're trying to muster it up. But I've come to this conclusion that we have become a society where we have made everything about us, but it's made us the most lonely people in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything is about us, and nobody cares. That's how we feel. Everything has to be about me, but yet nobody cares. That creates a real tension. And Jesus Christ is like, look, I put this stuff in the Old Testament thousands of years ago so that you would know there's meaning, there's purpose, there's value, there's a story to connect yourself to, there's something absolutely transcendent that you can be a part of. Life is going to be hard and miserable, and it's going to be difficult, and there's going to be addiction, and there's going to be abuse, and there's going to be all this other stuff that Jesus Christ himself had to contend with. And he's going to say, I get it. But I want you to know I am the answer for that. I am the ultimate answer for what ails you. 
right? That's what I love about the promises and how they get fulfilled so precisely in Jesus Christ. And it's like, I want you to lean into me. I want you to lean into me because there's only so much of you. And I'm sure we've all come to that point where we've realized we've kind of come to the end of ourselves, right? And what Christ says is like, that's where sometimes you're going to meet me. Sometimes you meet me before that. Sometimes it's like right at the end of yourself that you're going to meet me. But I want you to know, I put all these things in place so you know I'm here and I'm real. So let me close in prayer on that. Lord, I, I just want to give you, uh, I want to give you our stories, Lord. I want to give you uh, where we are, God. We, we celebrate Passover knowing that this is something that's supposed to mean deliverance. Passover is about protection, Lord. It is about a promise fulfilled. It's about trust. And Jesus, I pray that we would be able to see that and see how that carries over the story of the Bible and carries over the story of human history and how you fulfilled these things and just how precise and exact things were. And I pray that we would be able to see those things and know that we can trust you. These feasts were about relationship. They were about trust. They were about evidence of your goodness, Lord. Would you help us today in 2023 realize that, Lord? Because we do live in a hurting world. Lord, help us also that know you as Savior to be different, to bring hope, to point people to you. And it's tough when we're hurting ourselves, Lord, but um, God, I pray for your strength. This Holy Week especially, as we remember uh, one of the most unbelievable miracles of all time, Lord, the death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ, Lord. Would you be with this week, Lord? Help us to just dive into our faith and grow this week in you. And I pray your protection over those that are hurting this morning, those that are watching, those that are here, Lord Jesus. I just pray your peace this week especially is going to be on them. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.